Kit. Hey everybody, and welcome to the Andy It's in the Bonneville's podcast. Hope you're well. Um, on this Monday, the 8th of February, it is today, 2021. I almost said 1921 there. There's a reason for that. I've got it in an article sitting in front of me, because this is the 100th year. This is the centenary of Northern Ireland this year, isn't it? So that number's going to be, uh, it's going to be, you're going to hear quite a bit of it this year. So, uh, how are you all doing? Hope you're well. Um, I'm doing fine. Little up, updates, I guess. Let me think. Um, recently, I've taken to jumping into Loch Ness. Yeah. Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock. A few of us go down. All socially distanced. You know, we stay safe. And we go down, my brother and I, and a few of a few f- old friends... Called it Tegnav and Dunkers, and my daughter, and my mate Richie McGee, he comes down too, and my daughter Lily, she's 16, and we go down and we uh, we jump into Loch Ness, and we kind of, um, and we sort of sit there for as long as we can, we time ourselves about 6 minutes, we did 8 minutes this week, and uh because it was a little milder than usual. Still freezing, of course, but yeah. And I wouldn't recommend the eight minutes. It was a bit much. It sort of dropped our core temperatures down for too long, I think. And we were all still... Couldn't feel our feet two hours later. So, yeah. So if you want if you want to do that, why don't you come down? It's great. It's really good for you. It's great for your immune system, apparently. And it's great for your muscles. So I go down... I go down for a run. So I go down early. And I go down for a run, I go and run three or four miles. And then you go into the lock. And it's class. I really love it. I really, really love it. I like it. And uh apparently it's good for you. The, the, the list of benefits is is endless. It really is. There's so much. And uh, so we've been doing that. It's great. I'm doing that for about five or six weeks now. Love it. Um what else? Yeah, my daughter Lily. She wants to start uh, doing some triathlons, so I'm going to do a triathlon with her uh, this year, I think, if, if, if they're on. But we're going to start the training. So Lily, my daughter Lily's 16, and my, my, my eldest girl, Summer, she's she's 19. But they both have been sort of national champions at cycling, cyclocross and mountain biking and things like that. In their, when they were younger, sort of under 14, under 16, under 12, that sort of period. And they've, uh, they were great cyclists, great champions. And uh, But, you know, it's very difficult to keep young girls in sport. And they both dropped out. Much to... Uh, I was very sad about that. I, I, I love sport and exercise. And I still compete and protect myself. And I think it's a great thing for a child to have. But you can't make people do it, you know. Especially as they, as they get a little older. And then I was coaching them too. And... Daddy coaching kids, isn't that maybe a great idea? I don't know if it's a great idea. It's good to get somebody else to do it. So, but I've talked Lily into... Well, I've talked to her. She's decided that she she, she wants to do triathlon. So we're going to do sprint distance. We're going to do a sprint. I'm going to do one. And I... Uh, we're going to do a sprint distance triathlon. And a sprint distance triathlon is... Let me get this right. This is off the top of my head. So I'm, I might be wrong, but I think I'm right. 750 meter swim... 20k bike ride, 5k run. That's all manageable. That's all doable. We can do that now. So we're going to train for that together. But 
I want Lily to join a club, so I'm going to think maybe we'll drop her into. Uh, there's a local triathlon club here in Lurgan called Tuna, Tuna Triathlon. So maybe going to see about uh, getting in contact with those guys. So if anybody knows anything about that, if you know any of these people, hit me up. Point me in the right direction. Uh, what else? You may know. You may not know. I, I sort of think I briefly mentioned it, but we've. Janie and I and Lily, of course, being in the house, a householder, or uh, living at home here with us. We've sort of, we fostered two children, two little two-year-olds. They're relatives of ours, I won't, won't go into too much detail. But the occasion the, it became necessary for that to happen, so we've done that. And they're two great kids. We love them very much. They're absolutely fantastic. And uh, we're th- I think we're doing a good job with them, you know. But um, we got offered as a part of the the local health trust here. The I don't know I don't know how to put this, but basically we got vaccinated against COVID yesterday as foster carers. Now when we got offered this, I was a bit okay because I'm in good health and you know I'm not I'm not in don't I don't tick any boxes for being at risk. And neither does Lily or neither does Janie, my wife. So it kind of felt like a like a little bit, bit queue jumpy, but then it was explained to me. No, because if we get COVID, if we go down with COVID, the strain on the health, the foster care system, would be huge because these children then have to be taken away, they have to be uh, quarantined, and you know the two year olds and all, the, and they have to be cured like that cared for like that until they can get back to us so imagine if the resources required for that would be massive loads of people would have to be involved in that and the foster care system just doesn't have the people to do it oh there's my phone so um yeah sorry got distracted there i'll turn my phone down there we go so yeah so that was uh so that was the uh, that was the reason that was given for that. So we have to kind of stay healthy in order to uh, um, in order to be able to look after these children. Does that make sense? I think it does. So yeah, so we got the vaccine. No side effects. Little sore arm. So I got it on my left shoulder, and then we get the second dose in a, in a few months, twelve weeks. Uh, so I, I was really relieved to get it. I really was. Fuck, that's don't want this bloody disease. But um, so there we go. That's me updated. Right, we're gonna. What are we gonna talk about? We're gonna talk about Ulster Unionism, DUP particularly. I've had. Uh, I don't know what their Latin word for week is, but the Queen would call it "unwakeus horribilis," and they have had a fucking shitty week. Now, I'm going to start with an article. This was published last week. In the Guardian, a British newspaper. And it's written by a guy called Nick Cohen. And the reason that I, I want to read this to you is because it's something that it, it, it resonates particularly with me because it's something I bang on about quite a bit when it comes to talking about Ulster Unionism. And it's. It's bewildering lack of political nice. Acumen or. 
thought. It's, it's, it's just shocking. So I'm going to read this article for you, right? So here we go. Duped again. Irish Unionists and the long, sorry history of Tory betrayal. So here we go. In 1921, Sir Edward Carson, the leader of Irish Unionists, uttered words anyone tempted to fall for the charms of English Tories should learn by heart. What a fool I was. I was only a puppet, and so was Ulster, and so was Ireland, in the political game that was to get the Conservative Party into power. The Liberal, the, the Liberal Democrats have been saying much the same for five years. Working class voters in red wall constituencies will be saying the same in five years' time. Today's puppets, however, are Carson's heirs in the Democratic Unionist Party. Couldn't they see what would happen? Did they not read the polls that showed English Tories would rather accept the United Ireland and independent Scotland than give up on Brexit? Boris Johnson's wives mistresses and colleagues all learned that he would rat on them in the end. What made East Belfast Protestants think they would be different? Johnson duly ratted on them and dealt Ulster Unionism a historic and perhaps terminal blow by partitioning the United Kingdom with a border in the Irish Sea. I am searching my bookshelves to find an example to compare with their bottomless stupidity. The Trojans on the horse at least they thought the war was over. Napoleon and Moscow, at least he had grounds for thinking himself invincible. Their motives were comprehensible. The DUP's reasons for first supporting Brexit and then allying with a Tory right in wrecking Theresa May's deal, which aimed to preserve the territorial integrity of the UK, are beyond ordinary comprehension. They lie in the irrational urge to destroy. That's fascinating. It's a great way of putting it. I'm going to highlight that. Highlight. So, continue. Johnson's Conservative Party of the early 21st century imitates Andrew Bonner Law's Conservative Party of the early 20th. Before the First World War, the Tories incited the army to mutiny rather than accept home rule for Ireland. They wanted to use the fury of Ulster Protestants. Carson led as a weapon against the Liberal government. As George Dangerfield wrote in his strange death of Liberal England, Tories became sick of caution and respectability. They no longer could bear to hold on to that attitude of, the, of critical and grumbling respect for government. They no more cared that rejecting home rule would lead to war in Ireland, and today's Tories cure that Brexit will lead to dole queues, borders within the UK, and the revival of Scottish nationalism. That historic parallel, sorry, I'm off script here, that historic parallel cannot be overstated, and it cannot be ignored. But it is being ignored by the DUP. This is the point of the article. So, back to it. Move fast and break things is the authentic slogan of the Conservative Party then and now. Own the libs, don't be a cock, crush the saboteurs and mutineers, the enemies of the people. To ask what will be left of the UK, whether there even will be a UK when everything is broken, is to miss the point spectacularly. In the early 21st century, sorry, in the early 21st as in the early 20th century, extreme nationalism worked at the ballot box for the Tories because now as then the Nietzschean mood 
was the spirit of the age. The DUP could not resist it, with Donald Trump rising in the US and Nigel Farage and Johnson rising in the UK. Could they really be expected to be left behind, muttering timid cliches about being careful what you wish for? The voters of Northern Ireland tried to warn the DUP by voting 56 to 44% to stay in the EU. Everyone who understood international relations said that if loyalists and Protestant fundamentalists imagined Brexit would lead to a restoration of the border within the Republic, the United States and the EU would soon put them straight. The only way to avoid a border within the UK was to agree to a soft Brexit. It was their last chance, and the DUP used the power it had in the hung 2017 Parliament to rule it out. So, to clarify, the only way to avoid the the sea, the, the, the border in the Irish Sea was to maintain the integrity of the U, of the UK with and to maintain the, the integrity of the UK was to ensure a soft Brexit, which is what Theresa May was offering, and the DUP voted against it. They were the kingmakers, they were the, the nine votes that they had. Okay. How they loved the attention. Jacob Rees-Mogg, a proper English tough, or close enough to Belfast eyes, told them, I won't abandon the DUP because I think they are the guardians of the Union of the United Kingdom. They believed him. Sammy Wilson rolled around the radio station praising Boris Johnson's shock tactics without it ever occurring to him that Ulster Unionists would end up being the most shocked of all. They think of themselves as tough political operators. This is a battle of who blinks first and we've cut off our eyelids, the DUP declared in the Brexit negotiations. In truth, the Good Friday Agreement had made the marks waiting to be conned. By guaranteeing the DUP and Sinn Féin would always be in control, power sharing in Northern Ireland had atrophied their political skills. They didn't see the threat coming. Power sharing had atrophied their political skills. They didn't see the threat coming. Brilliant. Back to it. Carson cried out his despair in 1921 because he wanted the whole of Ireland to stay in the British Empire. After the Easter uprising and the Irish War of Independence, London was no longer prepared to fight to retain control of the South. The Tories were back in power and would stay in power pretty much continuously until 1945. They could safely dump Carson and his friends. The DUP's stupidity is truly bottomless because no Irish Republican war forced them to embrace Brexit and partition the Union. Democratic Unionists weren't like so many settlers of the British Empire abandoned by the Tory metropolis when the price of maintaining colonial rule grew too high. Rather, they egged Tory England on as it went berserk. They now hope that the EU's brief threat to impose a vaccine border will save them. That didn't happen. <clears throat> and it was a mistake by the EU. They fucked up there, but, you know, sorted it out. Back to it. But there's no way out. Now, as always, the choice is a soft Brexit or no Brexit. 
which they ruled out, a border on the island of Ireland, which the world will not accept, or a border in the Irish Sea, which cuts Unionists off from the rest of the UK and forces them to integrate with the Republic and the EU. Last month, Ian Paisley pointed, Ian Paisley Jr. pointed at a conservative M- at conservative MPs in the Commons and said. What did we do to members in those benches over there to be screwed over by this protocol? Ask your hearts, every single one, what did we do? I'll tell you what you did, Paisley. You betrayed the best interests of your cause and country by allowing yourself to become a puppet in the political game to keep the Conservative Party in power. End of article. That's exactly what they did. What did we do? You're, you turned your brain off. That's what you did. You're guilty of being stupid. Full of hubris. So that article is fantastic. And there's more and more of these things popping up in the British press. And you're going to find that when, as time passes on, uh, we're going to see more and more of this stuff. And it's going to be for the purpose of teeing up the British public to let go of Northern Ireland. Most of them don't give a damn anyway. But it's going to become more and more. Uh, you're going to see more and more of this stuff. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, for God's sake, George George Osborne, the ex-Chancellor of the Exchequer, you know, he wrote an article about the breaking up of the UK. But he was talking about Scotland and England. Parting ways, he gave Northern Ireland a paragraph, and in it he said, for all intents and purposes, Ireland is united now. That's it. Forget about it. It's done. It's the ex-Chancellor of the Exchequer, for fuck's sake. So, onwards. So last week, like I said, DUP had a terrible week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just bail through it real quick. It started on Monday... with a Lucid Talk poll, which was commissioned by the Belfast Telegraph. So over here in front of me. So the latest Lucid Talk, Northern Ireland political party poll, and it's it's a straight up, it's just a straightforward, who would you vote for? If there was an election tomorrow, who would you vote for? And here's the results, absolutely fascinating. So I'll just, uh, 2,295 responses, Northern Ireland wide poll, and the dates it covered was from the 22nd of June, or, uh, sorry, pardon me, 22nd of January to 25th of January and here's the results of it so this was last week or two weeks ago DUP 19% that's down 4 Sinn Féin 24% holding steady that's what they were before no change Alliance 18% up 2 SDLP no change at 13 UUP no change at 12 Green Party down 1, 2%. TUV, up 4. People before profit, down 1, 1%. Now, others independence, 1%. Holding steady. No change. So, the way to read this poll is the DUP are down to 19%. And the Alliance Party is up to 18 So, they're almost neck and neck. Right? Now, no, we know polls aren't... Uh, ballot boxes, they're different Th- things change but it's fascinating 
And then the other big takeaway from it is the TUV is up 4 to 10%. Now, the hardliners at the DUP that are disgusted at the DUP's antics that are going to that are blaming the DUP for the Irish Sea border as it's being referenced will go to the TUV. But the average sort of unionist that voted for the DUP that wouldn't be seen dead at the TUV because they are hardline will go to Alliance. But interestingly, for me, they're not going to the UUP. Why would they not go to the Ulster Unionists, the official unionists? I think it's because they're fucking useless. They're literally useless. If you, as the Ulster Unionists, can't make the most out of the DUP so historically and monumentally screwing everything up, if, if you can't do that now, there's no hope for you. It's exactly the same as the Labour Party in England. Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson's government has just oversaw the worst COVID death rate on the planet. And, and Labour aren't able to make a massive dent into the Tory, Tory, Tory popularity. That's worrying. If if you're in if you're in politics, you understand that that's a big fucking deal. They should be able to just crucify him. Tory, um, Tory, uh, Tory popularity should be plummeting, and it's not. You know what I mean? It's the same here. So the UUP have no change setting the twelve percent. So the, the the people that are leaving the, that are abandoned in the DUP are going to TUV and Alliance. They're not going to the UUP. Fascinating stuff. So that's so that was Monday. There was more. So then on Monday as well, Edwin Poots, who's a member of the the is an MLA, and he's a minister of agriculture, I believe. He shut down the ports of Larne and. Belfast. Where is it? There we go. Ask for port staff to be stood down. Now, when we say the Irish Sea border, this is what we're talking about. You know this, but I'll just hit it real quick. The customs checks that have to be carried out on goods entering a territory that shares a land border, effectively, with an EU country, which is the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, Instead of those customs checks being carried out on the land, they're just carried out at the docks. So the customs ports, the customs checks get carried out in Larne and they get carried out in Belfast docks. All those papers have to be filled out and all those checks made there. That's what they mean by the Irish Sea border. Edmund Poots asked for the staff to, to, be, to be stood down because of threats from loyalists. Now we've all seen here in Northern Ireland, there's been a lot of graffiti going up. In loyalist uh, strongholds, there's one here in Lurgan, they threatened said port staff are legitimate targets and all this to use language from the bad old days, legitimate targets. And uh, we saw that going up. So Edmund Pooch then took that unprompted and on his own. Well, he, he got w- w- with the consent of the chief vet, Northern Ireland's chief vet, and. The permanent secretary of the civil service, Dennis, Dennis McMahon, uh, they decided to teleport staff not to turn up for work. Right? Then the cops were asked, What is this threat? And the cops said, There is no threat. We don't know anything about it. So Edwin Poots, who is a member of the 
DUP wants a hard a hard border in Ireland. He doesn't. Not only does he not want the sea border, they they want an actual hard border in Ireland. They they, they don't want the status quo to remain. They want a hard border. That's their. That's his aim. That's his goal. So he took the decision to shut the to tell his staff not to turn up for work. Then when when it was when the question went. Where's this evidence? What are you talking about? There was no evidence. So that's that was Monday. So you got this poll on Monday, and Edmund Pooch doing that. The staff go back to work. I think they were off for two days in total. The staff go back to work by Wednesday. There is no threat against them. The loyal there was a loyalist show of strength in Belfast and the Ballymac Estate, where fifty UVF uh, drug dealers masked up walked through the estate, and in the process they ended up shutting down a food bank because they threatened one of the staff in the food bank. So that's the, those the, that those people feeding uh, elderly and infirmed and people can't get out of their houses. They they, they had to shut that down because these assholes um, threatened that. But they didn't. There was no threat made to the to the ports that was implied by Edwin Boots. So that's Monday. So you got the poll and you've got that. It's quite obvious. Quite clear that what Edmund Poots has done is he's acted unilaterally and wrongly, and be and beyond his brief to be fair, because he he doesn't want the Irish Sea border. I understand he doesn't want it, but he can't just make up shit, right? So Wednesday, Ian Paisley Jr., the gift that keeps on giving, the MP for North Antrim and the Maldives, uh, blames the e in an interview he blames the EU for his voting record, for why he voted Theresa May's deal down. Think about that one for a second. It was Theresa May's fault, or it was the EU's fault that he voted against a soft Brexit, which would have maintained the integrity of the United Kingdom. He blamed the EU on that. Right? Thursday, Arlene Foster goes on the Mark Carruthers Gets interviewed by Mark Carruthers on a show called The View on the BBC, a political commentary, a political show on the about Ulster politics here in Northern Ireland, and got dismantled for twenty minutes. Unionism's political unionism's stance and position is so bad anyone could do it. You don't need to be an Andrew Neil or anyone. Mark Carruthers is very good and all the rest of it, but Anyone could do it. I could do it. You could do it. Because their position is so untenable and so badly thought out and so dumb, as illustrated in the first article that I read to you, that anyone can do it. You don't need to be, you know, you don't need to be a forensic political analyst to do it. Anyone could do it. A child could fucking do it. Then, as the week goes on, the gift that keeps on giving... Gregory Campbell MP for Derry one of the MPs from Derry tweets this out just going to pull it up here on my, my Twitter feed by the way head over to Twitter give us a wee follow if you do the Twitter thing Wait till you hear this. You're not going to believe this. If you if you know this, you're going, you, 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 you're obviously disgusted. And if you haven't heard this, wait till you hear this. So on Sunday, Gregory Campbell 
put this out on the social media. Just watched BBC TV's Songs of Praise, which this week was Gospel Singer of the Year semi-final. This, I'm afraid, was the BBC at its BLM worst. There were five singers, all of them black. It was a fucking gospel singer show. That there would be five black singers shouldn't really shock anyone. There were three judges, all of them black, and one presenter who incidentally was, yes, black. The singers were all very good, but can you imagine an all-white lineup with an all-white jury and presented by a white person? No, neither can I. I really don't know where to go with that. It's, it's so fucking tone deaf. It's, it, it doesn't need comment. It's just fucking shocking. What are you thinking, you idiot? And this is the thing. This is still up. This hasn't been taken down. Arlene Foster hasn't condemned it. The DUP haven't put out a statement saying Gregory is an asshole and nobody should listen to him. It's still up. There's no no comment from the DUP. And Choya, who is uh, an orange man from Fermanagh, who comments uh, on... Unionism, and he's a very, he's a very, he's a great commentator. Again, I don't agree with him politically, but I, I will, I'll always give him the time of day because he's not a, a reactionary like so many. But he has to do his shit in, in, in under a pseudonym because he keeps getting called a Lundy every time he criticizes unionism for an obvious criticism where it deserves to be critiqued. He gets called a Lundy. So, um, he tweeted out in response to Gregory Campbell. As the week closes, Gregory Campbell is now trending. This week alone, in addition to Campbell, Arlene Foster trended once, the DUP twice, and all trends were for negative reasons. In the worst nightmares of unionists, Sinn Féin could not damage the union more. And that's true. And that's the fucking point here. Well, the point is that Gregory Campbell is a fucking bigot, but everybody from Northern Ireland... Uh, knows that you know it's no surprise that you know that's not going to shock anyone if you if you're not from northern ireland you don't know who gregory campbell is he is a vile piece of shit and he's a, he has a bigot and a, he, uh, i don't even want like i don't even want to talk about him he's awful but people vote for him and this is the fucking problem right so so that's your week dup poll edwin puts does his thing with the port staff. DUP vote vote share drops down to under 20%. Ian Paisley blames the EU. Arlene Foster gets dismantled by Mark Carruthers on the BBC. And then Gregory Campbell rounds out the week, uh, making what is, quite frankly, absurd racist comments about black singers on Songs of Praise, which is a religious program that the BBC put out every Sunday. Very Christian-y message that, isn't it? Him, and him, by the way, who is a Christian, professes to be a Christian. Unbelievable. I I don't get, I mean, for me, Christianity is very simple. It's like, would Jesus say that? Would Jesus do this? If he would, then that will do that then. You know, it's, you don't need to read the whole fucking Bible. You don't need to know all the Ten Commandments. You just, don't be an asshole and would Jesus do that? No, he wouldn't. Wise up. So, that's where we are. That's the that's um, that's the DUP's week, and I'm going to finish this. I'm going to do another podcast later on in the week, and I'm going to do, talk about class consciousness and class solidarity, 
And I'm going to illustrate how the rich and the corporate understand this instinctively and inherently, and the working class don't. I'm going to give you many examples of it because I have a big list here. But I want to talk, I want to finish this off with talking about loyalists in regard to all of this. What this is, is the DUP ramping up the rabble-rouse, the rabble-rousing tactics that they that they always use. What they've always used. They've used it for decades. Ian Paisley Sr. was famous for it, as you know. He got called by the loyalists in Long Cash, all the ones that were in jail. They called him the Grand Old Duke of York because of the, the little rhyme. Grand Old Duke of York. Marched his men up the hill and marched them down again. But he didn't march them down. He left them up there. Then they got caught, found themselves in a court and put in jail. Lives ruined forever. And that's what loyalism is, is doing. So whereas unionism, as described in that article, um, is guilty of bottomless stupidity, loyalism is, it, is, it, is, is under that again, is, it, is at the bottom of that again. Because they're the ones that are allowing themselves to be used and they're doing it now, and they're 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 devoid of of leadership. Again, that word I keep saying it. My word for twenty twenty is leadership. Or the past year is leadership, as in the lack of it and how important it is. And when you don't have it, this is what happens. So who are the who? What are the loyalists going to do? They need political leadership. They need they need uh, alternatives. We know what they want. But the sand is moving under their feet. We can all sense it. We all know what's happening here. There's going to be a border pole soon. It's, the ground is being laid. The groundwork is being laid. The British press are dropping these articles. And they will become more and more frequent. Brexit has has ensured that the economic future of Northern Ireland is within the EU and that naturally means in a united Ireland where does this leave unionism to go and loyalism where does it, where do they go when their leadership is so poor as I've illustrated just this week that's just this week but what loyalism either knows and doesn't acknowledge or doesn't know which would be hard to believe is they allow themselves to be used by people that aren't of the same class as them. These people are working class, loyalists are working class men and women. And instead of having working class solidarity, which is what we should be doing across the world, we focus on our religious differences on our petty religious differences. And in this country it's religion, in other countries it's other things. To quote Connolly, our great object will be to unite the workers and to bury in one common grave the religious hatreds, the provincial jealousies and mutual distrusts upon which oppression has been so long depended for security again 
our great object will be to unite the workers and to bury in one common grave the religious hatreds, the provincial jealousies and mutual distrusts upon which oppression has so long depended for security. David Irvine understood that. Loyalist politician. He knew, he said many times, and he accused the DUP directly of using loyalist working class men and women for their own political ends. The same way that the Tories use the DUP, the DUP use the loyalists. And it's the loyalists that end up in jail. Lives ruined forever. And instead of directing their anger, be it righteous or otherwise, at them that led them here, who did they blame? Everybody else. Port staff. Nationalists, Republicans. Everybody that isn't as hard line as them is a Lundy. The reality is it's their own fault. They're allowing themselves to be led by the fucking nose. I refuse to be that stupid. I refuse to be that dumb. And you should too. This is this is the whole point. We need to understand that we are we need we need to unite on working class grounds on class ground. We're in a class war. Class war is being committed upon us. Problem, as I said in the song, the problem is we we don't we don't know it. The working class don't know it, and we're getting kicked to death. And the more often we allow these petty, as Connolly says, these petty provincial jealousies and religious hatreds to divide us. With the likes of Gregory Campbell pointing out black people on the TV, like pointing at them and going, like, what, what is all this? Pointing at Catholics and Catholics pointing at Protestants as if there's something wrong with them. Without realising we're doing the work of the empire for them. We're doing the work of the upper class for them. We're contributing to our own defeat. As long as we see the world through that lens. We've been divided and we've been conquered. And this is what we need to do. We need to understand we're better than this. We can do far better than this. For me, my solution is to unite Ireland. And then we'll deal with the fucking Tories in Dublin. Because we have them here too. I can't do anything about the Tories in London. I have no say what goes on in London. My vote means nothing. It never did. doesn't matter if you vote who you vote for. You vote for the DUP. Sure, sure look at what they got you. Got you fuck all. Sinn Féin's position of abstentionism. Where they don't take their seats in the House of Commons. Over the past few years. Has become more and more clear. That it was obviously the right thing to do. I've had discussions and debates and disagreements with dear friends of mine who disagree with me completely. And they're absolutely entitled to that. We don't fall out about it. But to me it's increasingly obvious. Our position is not over there. Our position, our, 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 our place is here. And going to the House of Commons doesn't make any fucking sense. And the more you go, the more you give it you give it Credence and authority, and you make you you you, 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 give, you, you give it. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
um, you just give it the authority that it that it demands. When in in the, in the early eighteen hundreds, whenever the Irish Parliament was dissolved, you got to remember this is what happened to Ireland. Ireland had its own Parliament, and whenever that was dissolved. All those Irish parliamentarians were then brought to to the UK, to to London. They could be controlled. And that was dissolved on the pretense of... There were demands made. There were rights demanded for the the natives, for the Catholic people. Catholics were to be given certain rights, which they hadn't had before. And as soon as it went to England, it was completely stymied. King George just went, no, no, rights for Catholics, can't be having that. And despite what the MPs had said, or what the government had said at the time, the king just overruled it. Now I know the king doesn't have that, uh, the royalty doesn't have that sort of power these days, but it illustrates nonetheless, we can't, that place there is not for us. We need to have our own place, and it's here. And this is what unionism, that's the challenge for unionism. They need, they can't just keep, talking about the status quo as if it's good enough because it clearly isn't Brexit has put a nail in the coffin of the of the of the union what that ends up looking like is is anybody's guess at the minute but I would guess uh, a united Ireland and then maybe an independent Scotland as well at some point but my concern is a united Ireland first and foremost And, and for the reasons that have that that have laid out, because we can deal with our own shit in the United Ireland, we can't deal with the Tories. We can't work with the Tories. The Tories are there to betray us, just like they betrayed the DUP, just like they betrayed Edward Carson, just like they betrayed the people of Ireland whenever we lost our Parliament in eighteen twenties, the early eighteen hundreds. When it went to, to to London. There we go. So I'm going to do an art. I'm going to do another podcast this week, but more about the work, about working class solidarity, and about uh, how the the wealthy have understand full well class consciousness, despite what they say. And I'm going to f- uh, to a couple of things. Um, so yeah, so that's that. Also this week, I closed down, I should have started, I should have told you this at the start, but I closed down my Facebook page. I can't be fucking bothered with that place anymore. I've always hated it. I only kept it open so that I could run my band page, the Bonneville's band page. But Chris does that mostly now. Well, he does it all now because I I, I, I don't, I can't use Facebook now. So I shut that down. So if anybody needs to contact me, get me on WhatsApp or whatever. I know WhatsApp is on Facebook and I, I'm working on this stuff. I think I'm going to go to Signal or Telegram and all these um, things that aren't owned by two or three companies, the same two or three companies. So I did that. So there we go. So I'm going to finish. I'm going to give the last word to one of my favourite comedians, Tommy Tiernan. Now, if you don't know who Tommy Tiernan is or or if you only know him from his role in uh, the TV programme Derry Girls, you you must check out his stand-up. He's the absolute funniest guy in the world. I love him. He's one of my top five comedians of all time. Um, and uh, 
He's a great guy. Check out his DVD, Bovinity, it's called. Um, it was one of his stand-ups. It's called Bovinity. It's him at his wildest. And he's also got a couple of great podcasts with um, himself and Hector. And uh, they're fucking hilarious. He's just, just, he's just hilarious. Um, so check him out, Tommy Tiernan. I would recommend Bovinity. Well, yeah, check out Bovinity. It's one of the, it's wild. Like he's 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 unhinged, and he really is absolutely unhinged. So check it out. So I'm going to give the last word to him, and he says, "Sure, if we can put up with people from Cork, we can surely put up with unionists." 